Jamie Kloss. Should she get the reward in the amount of $50,000 for saving herself? Do you see Patrick Patterson and family as victims too? These are the questions that I've answered for myself, but I'd like to hear your perspectives too. Oh, this is Ashley, the unqualified host of Taboo and Murder. Today is a Thursday, January 17th. This episode is a Jamie Kloss narrative. I've dropped three raw episodes as facts were coming to light. In this episode, I write a motherfucking narrative, haters. I use one source article at the very end. Pat self on back. Still not sure what makes a qualified podcast host. I'll ask Michael Barbaro. Just kidding, I wish. If you're not listening to The Daily, shut this off and go listen to every episode available. It's brilliant. Anyway, on to the fucking incel reject that is Jake Patterson. He was charged with four felony counts, two first degree homicide, two, or excuse me, one kidnapping charge and one burglary charge. Jeff Nelson, a detective, compiled this complaint that was made public, which I use to shape my narrative. October, I still will probably sound like I'm uh, reading aloud poorly in school. October 15th at 12.53 a.m., a 911 call came in and screaming could be heard. Dispatch advised a Deputy Presley and all officers on the location of the 911 call, later to be known as the Kloss Residence, in Barron, Wisconsin. The call originated three miles from the dispatch center. Three deputies go out to the Kloss Residence at 1 a.m. Deputy Fick reports that a car that was maroon in color and an older style, such as an older Ford Taurus or a similar vehicle, was seen traveling east on Highway 8 while the deputy was heading west on Highway 8, just west of Barron. Fick reports the lone man yielded to himself and others responding to the scene. Fick was unable to see a front license plate and observed a black bracket in the front middle of the bumper. Fick reports he observed either gray or silver trim on the vehicle. Upon arrival to the Kloss residence, Deputy Presley notes there were no lights on outside the home. He also noted there were no signs of distress and no screaming could be heard. So the distress coming from the 911 call isn't apparent upon arrival. Presley reports there was a light on in the upstairs northwest window. FYI, the dog, I am finding nothing about the dog. I don't know anything about the dog and I'm trying, okay? Okay, so as uh, he walked around the back, he observed a light on in the back of the residence. Deputy Sandini, I'm going to call him Sandy because I think I'm still saying it wrong. And my dog is having like a reverse hiccup in the background. This is going to be a fucking delightful episode. Oh, and this is my second time recording because my podcast host, I did it from my computer and it didn't save it. So, yay! Okay. As we, as he walked around to the back, he observed a light on in the back of the residence. Toki, just hork it up already. Fuck. That's my dog, Toki Wartooth. He likes to, he's a Shiba Inu and he's like more cat than dog and he licks his paws and then he gets fucking fur balls. I'm not even kidding. Anyway, I'm not redoing this. You guys can listen to my dog. Love you. As we walked around the back, um, he observed a light on the back of the residence. Deputy Sandy, still saying it wrong, was instructed by Presley to go to the front of the house. Sandy, with flashlight in hand, went to the front door. He had difficulty seeing through the glass storm door due to its heavy condensation. Mid-October in Minnesota, yep, 
or Wisconsin. Yep, gonna happen. Sandy reports he shined his flashlight again um, at the door and noticed the glass door was partially open due to the rug being wedged. When Sandy looked inside, he saw legs. He opened the glass door and saw an adult male, later identified as James Kloss. Deputies observed James was deceased. There was significant visible trauma to James's face and head. There was blood and uh, brain splatter splatter in quotes um not spatter on the west wall directly behind the wooden entrance door i'm thinking of you lucy from whining and crime it does say splatter not spatter detective jeff nelson reports that the trauma to james was likely the result of a gunshot wound specifically a shotgun sandy and presley announced their presence and asked anyone to come out of the residence they report no one came out and no noise could be heard sandy observed a spent shotgun shell next to james's body and another in the hallway in front of the bathroom Partially in the bathroom and partially in the hallway, they observed a shower curtain lying on the floor. As they continued, um, they observed an adult female with red hair, later identified as Denise Kloss. She was sitting unresponsive in the shower. She was deceased. The trauma, again, looked as if it was caused by a shotgun wound to the head. Deputies searched the rest of the house and did not locate anyone else inside. Presley reports once the ambulance arrived, he escorted Mark Price, presumably one of the EMTs, into the residence. Price confirmed to deputies that no life-saving measures were necessary. Detective Mary Dexter with the Barron County Sheriff's Department reports she was present for the autopsies of both James and Denise. The autopsies performed in Ramsey County, um, Minnesota, uh, show the results after reviewing the cause of death as shotgun wounds to the head and neck for James and a shotgun wound to the head that killed Denise. Both were labeled homicides. Like, no shit, but I'm trying to be thorough because you can't please everyone. You can only try. But... I'm also omitting some of the gruesome details um, that are only relevant in the sense of understanding what Jamie endured, like the fact that the back of Denise's skull was found in the bathtub completely detached from her body. I can only hope that Jamie didn't see her mother murdered. She was forced to walk over her dead father. That's enough fucking trauma for one 13-year-old. I hope she has a great support system and has the ability to have a lifetime of therapy. Anyway, both Denise and James were murdered intentional homicide detective nelson entered the class residence at 1 45 a.m on october 15th and made note of the lights being on in the bathroom and in the master bedroom he observed james lying in an east-west direction partially obstructing the door and partially underneath the table nelson observed the wood door had been damaged the glass was shattered out and the locking mechanism sustained considerable damage presumably shot with the shotgun to gain entry nelson observed that denise was dead in the bathroom on the main floor nelson observed that the top upper drawer of the vanity was pulled out about six inches she tried to barricade herself in the bathroom nelson reports the assailant had breached the door the bathroom door was kicked and split in two before being forcibly opened nelson reports there was a cell phone with the screen side down in the bathroom Jason Hagen observed a shotgun shell next to James and one outside the residence and one outside the bathroom for a total of three. Nelson reports that while in the home, he and officers received a phone call from Detective Dexter and Detective Carroll stating James and Denise have a 13-year-old daughter that lived with them. She was and is identified as JLC throughout the criminal complaint. I will be calling her Jamie. So Nelson gets the call, and I can only imagine he gets that buzz throughout his body, his stomach dropping and fearing the worst immediately. 
Nelson reports that a crime alert and Amber Alert were issued. Deputy Dittbrender reports that on January 10th at 4.10 p.m., she was dispatched along with Deputy Carey to an address in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. En route, she received an update on the call she was responding to. She was informed Janine Nutter was out walking her dog when she saw a young girl now known uh, to be Jamie Kloss. She arrived at the residence with Jamie. The Kaczynska's residence, that is. At the time, Jamie told deputies that Jake Patterson killed her parents and Jamie wanted to go home. Deputies arrived at the Kaczynska's residence that Jamie had escaped to at 4.43. So for a second, just think about that 33-minute window for Jamie, Janine, and the Kaczynska's. How fucking terrifying. I've read reports that they were armed and keeping a lookout for Patterson. This case would be such a movie trope if it wasn't all true. It's insane and cinematic in the worst way. More so than other cases I research, I can see this one play out in my mind's eye, and it's fucking terrifying. So at 4.43, Jamie likely felt a level of safety she hadn't felt in 88 days. Dittbrender reported Jamie was still wearing ill-fitting men's clothes, out of concern that Patterson may be out looking for Jamie, Dittbender decided to remove Jamie from the Kaczynska's residence. Thank you. Jesus, I know we, as in humans, hate on the police, particularly when we have the benefit of hindsight, but fucking hooray for common sense. For Jamie's mental health as much as her physical safety, I am so happy that that decision was made. My anxiety is so high just writing this motherfucking thing, and I will only read like 90% of my notes, okay? So Deputy Carey reports that Deputy Dittbrender drove Jamie away in her squad while Sergeant Engelman followed in his squad car. The other deputies remained at the Kaczynskas. The Kaczynskas and Nutter, who have had to have been fucking terrified, if not still in in shock, um, say that, oh, sorry, they're, they're still at the house and presumably just fucking in shock talking to the detectives there debriefing. So Dittbrender, who is the one that is traveling with Jamie, reports as she was traveling west, she observed an eastbound vehicle, then turned south on Acres Circle, the street that Patterson's home was located. Dittbrender observed the car was dark in color. Dittbrender asked Jamie if that was Patterson's car. Jamie said she didn't know. She stated she thought he had a Ford, but also had other cars. Dittbrender notified DeRosa and Engelman of the car she just passed. Sergeant Engelman ran the plate of the vehicle. DeRosa reports that the car was registered to Katie Patterson. Fucking bingo. I'd just like to shout out the instincts of Deputy Dittbrender. Great police work. DeRosa reports that he positioned his squad car so that he could observe the car as it passed his location. DeRosa reports a lone male occupant was driving the car. DeRosa observed the driver's side tail light was broken. Also, no functioning license plate light. DeRosa pulled out and followed, waiting for another squad. God, the tension. I'm building the movie in my head, and it's legit intense. DeRosa watched as the car passed the address listed for the vehicle, the presumed location Jamie had been held. DeRosa conducted a traffic stop on the vehicle just as it passed the driveway. DeRosa approached the driver's side door. Engelman approached the passenger side. DeRosa reports the driver and lone occupant was instructed to raise his hands. Then he instructed the driver to open the door. Sergeant DeRosa asked the driver his name. The driver replied, he's Jake Patterson. At that time, DeRosa asked Patterson to step out of the car. 
At that time, the fucking monster, Jake Patterson, says, and I quote, I know what this is about. I did it. Deputy Carey reports he interviewed Janine Nutter, the dog walker. Janine started her walk at 3.30. She said it took about 40 minutes. When she returned to her driveway, she uh, stated that there was a girl yelling and begging for help. Janine stated that she remembers Jamie specifically saying, I'm Jamie Kloss. I don't know where I am. He killed my parents. Please help. I want to go home. Janine estimated it was around 4.10 Janine stated she made the decision to go to the Kaczynska's residence because though she didn't know Patterson, she recognized his name from the mailbox and his home was only two driveways west of her cabin. Fucking chills. The quick thinking of Janine shouldn't be underestimated here. Um, Janine described Jamie as shocked, uh, tired, with matted hair and messy clothes. Jamie was wearing large men's shoes and could barely walk in them. Detective Hagen reports on January 11th at 9.15 a.m. he observed a live interview of Jamie. Bonnie Fry, a child adolescent forensic interviewer with the FBI, interviewed Jamie. It was audio and video recorded. On the night Jamie was abducted, Jamie reports she was asleep in her bedroom when her dog started barking early in the morning. Again, guys, I can't find anything about the dog, okay? Jamie stated she got up to investigate and noticed someone driving up the driveway. Jamie went to her parents' room and woke them up. Jamie's father went to the door to see what was going on. Jamie stated Patterson was at the door with a gun, so she and her mother hid in the bathroom with the door closed. Never victim-blaming, but I sometimes wonder, like, what if they would have, like, bolted out a back door or, like, something? Woulda, shoulda, coulda always, you know, in the movie that I'm writing in my head as I'm researching this horror show. So uh, Jamie stated Patterson was at the door with the gun, so she and her mother hid in the bathroom with the door closed. Jamie and her mother hid in the bathtub. Jamie heard a gunshot and said she knew her father had just been killed. Jamie's mom called nine, uh, dialed 911 from her cell phone. Patterson broke the door down and told Denise to hang up the phone. Patterson then instructed Denise to tape Jamie's mouth. Denise did as she was told. Patterson then shot Denise in the head. That fucking poor girl. I can't even begin to imagine. And now that I'm a mom, I, of course, identify as Denise, just desperately wanting to protect my child and knowing there's no hope. Fuck. Jamie stated the first time she saw Patterson was in the bathroom where her and her mother were hiding. Patterson was dressed in black head to toe, including a mask and gloves. Patterson then taped Jamie's hands and ankles and dragged her out of the home to his car. Jamie described the tape being black in color. Patterson taped her hands behind her back. Patterson placed Jamie in the trunk, an older red four-door car. After Patterson put her in the trunk, Patterson drove away. It was then, approximately 20 seconds later, that Jamie heard the sounds of two police cars. Jesus Christ, can you even imagine? I feel like I need to pause this movie that I'm writing in my head because it's all too much just to break the tension. Ugh. God, and just like the thought of her in the trunk, hearing the sirens getting closer and closer and closer. And then they get quieter and quieter and quieter. And then the car starts back up. So Patterson then began driving the nearly 70 miles to his home. Jamie thought she was in the car for about two hours. Patterson told Jamie that they were at his house. Patterson was still wearing the black clothing he was wearing when he killed James and Denise as he removed Jamie from the trunk. 
Jamie stated that Patterson took her to a hallway, sat her down, and told her to stay there. Patterson then removed the tape from her face, hands, and ankles, and Patterson had her undress. Patterson put her clothes in a bag. Patterson made a comment about uh, not having evidence. Patterson told Jamie that he'd throw her clothes away. Jamie said that sometimes friends or family um, would come over. Patterson made it clear that no one was to know that she was there or there would be trouble. Patterson would hide Jamie under his twin-size bed. He'd then place totes, laundry bins, and weights around the bed so Jamie couldn't get out. Some real GSK type shit. One time, Jamie accidentally moved a tote when she was told to hide. Patterson told her something bad would happen if she did it again. Patterson would turn on um, music very loudly while she was under the bed, presumably to drown out any noise she would make. Patterson would make Jamie stay under the bed while he was gone for up to 12 hours at a time. Patterson was physically abusive to Jamie on several occasions, according to the complaint. Jamie doesn't remember what she did to make Patterson mad, but she remembers Patterson telling her repeatedly there would be harsher punishments. On January 10th, 2019, Jamie stated Patterson left the house and told her he'd be gone five to six hours. Patterson made Jamie go under the bed before leaving. Jamie was able to push the bins and weights away and crawl out. She put on a pair of shoes and walked toward the road and saw Janine Nutter and her dog. Jamie stayed, stated she told Janine who she was and that Patterson had kidnapped her and murdered her parents. Janine then took her um, to the Kaczynskas where they called 911. Nelson reports on January 11th at 7 and 15 p.m. A custodial interview was conducted with James Patterson. He was born June 17, 1997, making him 21 years old. After reading the shitbag, uh, presumed innocent until guilty, his Miranda rights, Patterson stated he understood his rights and agreed to speak to the detectives. Patterson confessed to killing James and Denise and kidnapping Jamie. Patterson stated he worked at a cheese factory for two days before quitting. On his drive to the cheese factory on one of the two days he worked there, he stopped behind a bus on U.S. Highway 8 where he watched Jamie get on the school bus. Highway 8, ugh. I grew up like a mile away from Highway 8 as a kid in Minnesota, and there was local lore around Highway 8. There were so many fatalities on that specific stretch of road. In Forest Lake in the 90s, there was seemingly one degree of separation from a fatality on Highway 8. I have a terrible memory, so this is literally just coming back to me now. I'll have to ask my mom. Patterson stated he had no idea who Jamie was or how many people lived at her house. When he saw her, he knew he had to take her. Patterson stated that on his second day of work at the cheese factory, he purchased a black balaclava, not baklava, from Walmart in Rice Lake. Patterson uh, stated he drove to the Kloss family home twice before October 15th with the intent to kidnap Jamie. Patterson stated that several days after quitting the cheese factory and about one week to 10 days before he went through with the plan to kidnap Jamie, he drove to the Gloss home and then um, there were all oh, there were all kinds of cars in the Gloss driveway and it scared him off that first time. Patterson stated on another night, a day or two later, he drove to the Gloss home, lights were on, people were rocking around, so he decided not to do it then either. Patterson stated he put quite a bit of thought into um, the details of how he was going to abduct Jamie. Very prideful about this. On one of the nights, Patterson did recon on Highway D and stole license plates off a vehicle. Patterson stated he stole the plates because he didn't want to get stopped or spotted with his own license plates on his car. 
premeditation for sure and he's legally sane in my opinion prior to arriving at the class home patterson stopped and removed the plates from his taurus patterson stated he had other modifications to his vehicle he removed and disconnected the interior lighting in the car he also removed the trunk light and the glow in the dark emergency pull yeah it's why they're there this fucker i'm raging again i may need to adopt the wine and crime model of um recording while drinking patterson took his father's 12 gauge shotgun he selected the gun and knew the shotgun was heavily manufactured and would thus be harder to trace patterson stated he took out six 12 gauge slugs from an ammo box he selected this weapon and ammo to kill most effectively Patterson used gloves and wiped down the shotgun shells and also cleaned and wiped the shotgun so there would be no fingerprints or DNA. Patterson said he did this solely to ensure there would be no trace left on the shotgun or shells. Patterson loaded the six shells in the shotgun wearing his gloves. Patterson was confident no DNA was left. Patterson shaved his face and head and showered before leaving his house to kidnap Jamie. Premeditated not insane like clinically my opinion again patterson was wearing blue jeans brown leather steel-toed boots and a black jacket and uh, black face mask patterson wore two pairs of gloves patterson stated that when he arrived to the class residence he shut um off the car and coasted to the end of the driveway Patterson quietly exited the car and approached the front door via the sidewalk. As Patterson was walking up the sidewalk, Patterson noticed James standing in the large picture window to the left of the front door. Patterson stated James had a flashlight and was shining it outside. Patterson hollered to James to get on the ground. Patterson then approached the front steps and opened the glass storm door. Patterson pounded on the wood door. Patterson saw James looking outside through the decorative glass through the door. Patterson stated James made some comment like, show me your badge, and assumed Jake was police. Patterson then raised the shotgun, aimed at James's head, and pulled the trigger. Patterson said he knew James immediately collapsed to the ground. Patterson then used his shoulder and tried to break the door open, but was unable. Patterson then used the shotgun to gain access. Master key, right? Patterson then used his shoulder, and after one or two attempts, the door opened. After stepping into the house, Patterson stepped across James's body and knew James was dead. Patterson brought a kitchen-style knife and flashlight that night. Patterson stated there were no lights on in the house and noticed the door straight ahead was shut. Patterson stated he approached the door um, and it was closed. Patterson quickly walked to the rest of the house scanning. He didn't see anyone, so he approached the closed door that he had initially seen. Patterson stated the door was locked and barricaded, so he kicked it in to break it down. Patterson estimated it took him 10 to 15 hits before it burst open. The fucking terror. As a mom, again, a scene from a movie. Imagine how long that 30 seconds of pounding would feel. Patterson stated the bathroom curtain was shut. He reached up and ripped it from the rod and threw it to the floor. Patterson stated Denise was holding Jamie in a bear hug in the bathtub. Patterson pulled out a flattened partial roll of black colored Gorilla brand duct tape, handed it to Denise and told her to place it over Jamie's mouth. Denise struggled to do so. Patterson set the shotgun on the bathroom sink, took the tape from Denise and wrapped Jamie's mouth and head in tape. 
Patterson had Jamie stand up. He taped her wrists, palms together. He taped her ankles as well. Patterson stated that he removed Jamie from the bathtub. With Jamie standing bound next to him in the bathroom, Patterson picked up the shotgun, shotgun, aimed for Denise's head, and pulled the trigger as he started to run away. Patterson said he aimed for her head as it was the best way to kill a person. Patterson had the shotgun in one hand. He reached his arm around Jamie and began to drag her. As he was doing so, he nearly slipped in the blood that had pooled on the floor. Patterson dragged Jamie across the yard to his car. Patterson told Jamie to walk, then realized she couldn't because he taped her ankles. He's a fucking moron. Patterson drug her across the yard, dropped her near the driver's side door. Patterson popped the trunk, dragged Jamie to the back, put her in the trunk, locked it, and then got in the car, removed his mask, and started driving toward Barron. Patterson stated he had only driven 20 seconds from the house when he yielded to three passing squad cars traveling west toward the house with their red and blue emergency sirens. Another movie scene from a horror movie. Just imagine Jamie hearing this from the trunk for a moment. She must have hoped that she was going to be saved, but then the sirens got quieter and quieter. And then she had two hours to think about it. That scene keeps playing over in my mind. Just that little glimmer of hope and then just fucking soul-crushing desperation. And then two hours to think about it in pea-soaked pants. Patterson stated he was determined he was going to take Jamie that night and he'd kill anyone in the house because he couldn't leave eyewitnesses behind. When asked what he'd have done if he'd been stopped by the police, Patterson stated he still had a loaded shotgun in the front seat with him. Patterson stated he would most likely just shot the police. Patterson estimated he... um was at the class home for less than four minutes total, which is just crazy. Patterson stated once he got to his house, which he indicated is in Gordon, Wisconsin, um, he then removed Jamie from the trunk and drug her into the bedroom. Patterson states he cut off the tape and he knew Jamie was extremely scared and she was crying. Patterson said that he knew Jamie was scared as she had urinated herself. Jamie needed to change into his sister's pajamas. Uh, Patterson stated he took Jamie's clothes, gloves, and tape and threw them into the wood fireplace in the basement. Patterson stated that he kept Jamie by creating a space under his bed. The bed sits two and a half feet off the ground, which is pretty high. Um, So he shoved the bed against a wall so he had just one side to barricade. When Patterson would leave the room or house, he'd place totes and wait so Jamie couldn't get out. Patterson stated that he could know if she tried to escape since the weights would be moved. Total GSK. Patterson stated that there were two occasions that Jamie had tried to get out from under the bed. Patterson yelled and hit the walls and was abusive to Jamie. She became very fearful, enough so that she knew not to leave the bedroom without him. Patterson said that due to his anger outbursts, she obeyed him. At Christmas time, Patterson stated he left the house and went to Superior to visit a grandparent. Patterson says he was gone over 12 hours while Jamie was under the bed. Oh, and the fucker was like, don't pee. Patterson stated that when his father would visit, typically on Saturdays, Patterson put Jamie under his bed and he'd blare music. This is fucking suspect, people. If you ever experience this, be safe, but get nosy, okay? 
Patterson kept the loaded shotgun outside his room for the first two weeks he held Jamie. After two weeks, he unloaded the weapon. Patterson put the shotgun in a white car in the yard. Patterson indicated it would be in the car or if his father had found it, it could have been moved back into the house. Patterson provided the location of the mask, jeans, boots, jacket, etc. Patterson was surprised there wasn't any blood spatter that came back on him, so he wasn't worried about his clothing. What about fucking slipping in the pool of blood? Patterson drew a diagram of the Kloss home. He indicated the home highway, his approach to the front steps of the Kloss home. He included on the map his return to the car while dragging Jamie to the trunk. Patterson also placed the deceased bodies on the diagram in the entry and bathroom, respectively. Patterson also noted the location of the license plates. Patterson stated that one um, that on the day he was arrested, he told Jamie he was leaving for a few hours to Haugen. When Patterson arrived home, he discovered Jamie wasn't under his bed. He looked around the house, then saw footprints outside. He drove and looked around. After a few minutes, Patterson returned home and was met by police. Patterson stated that at this point, he knew he was caught. Patterson stated that he had basically assumed he'd gotten away with it after not being caught after a few weeks. Patterson had never met Jamie through any social media site, even though that has been speculated upon wildly. He only learned her name at the point she was in his home. Patterson learned the names of the people he murdered via the news. Patterson said he'd never be caught if he had planned everything perfectly. So Nelson reports a search warrant was executed on January 11th. The search warrant executed by a team of Wisconsin uh, Department of Justice personnel. I'm not going to name all of them. You can look it up yourself if you want. Nelson reports that throughout the course of the two-day search, 89 pieces of evidence were recovered from the property, including um, the Mossberg silver and black shotgun and three remaining shells, the brown-covered steel-toed boots, black jacket, black mask, stolen license plates, glow-in-the-dark T-handled trunk safety release lever. Jake Patterson is in jail for allegedly murdering James and Denise Kloss and kidnapping Jamie Kloss. A couple of notes. Some sick fuckers are setting up GoFundMe pages and other uh, funding pages of the, of the like for Jake Patterson. Please be aware. Also, I've seen a lot of shit talking about Jake Patterson's dad. I'm going to quote from USA Today the story regarding the letter he wrote to the Kloss family. So Barron, Wisconsin, the father of Jake Patterson, the 21-year-old man accused of kidnapping and holding 13-year-old Jamie Kloss in captivity for nearly three months, says he has a letter for the Kloss family. Patrick Patterson told a CNN reporter at the Barron County Justice Center on Tuesday that he was uh, hoping to pass along a letter he wrote to the Kloss family. All I care about right now is Jamie's family. I want to get them a note, he told CNN. Patrick Patterson declined to provide more details on the letter and apologized for not being able to elaborate on the situation. That is terrible that he feels like he has to apologize to the media for not wanting to grieve on camera for a family that his son has shattered forever. That's fucking terrible and says so much about our society. So all I care about right now is Jamie's family. I want to, I want to get them a note. Um, 
apologized for not being able to elaborate on the situation. He says, I'm sorry, I can't talk um, before he was escorted away from the public area by a deputy. Patrick Patterson, according to CNN, was there for his son's arraignment Monday and could be seen crying and burying his head in burying his head in the shoulder of a nearby relative as he watched his son appear in Barron County Circuit Court. Jake Patterson is also accused of killing Jamie's parents, James and Denise Kloss, in their home outside Barron on October 15th and taking Jamie against her will. Jake Patterson's grandfather, Jim Moyer, told ABC News that the family had no clue that any of this was happening. Quote, something went terribly wrong. Nobody had any clues. We are absolutely heartbroken. It's wrenching to deal with, he said. He was shy and quiet. He backed off from crowds, but a nice boy, polite. Computer, computer games were more of a priority than social interaction. Jake Patterson was charged in Barron County Monday with two counts of first-degree intentional homicide, one count of kidnapping, and one count of armed burglary. He is being held on a $5 million cash bail. On Tuesday, Patterson was moved to the Polk County Jail um, from Barron, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read any more of that. End quote from USA Today. So my personal opinion, the Patterson family, they're victims too. The love for a child doesn't evaporate, particularly overnight. The conflict of emotions is incomprehensible. I want Jamie to heal in privacy. I believe that there's healing for the Patterson family too. It's not our job to judge how someone grieves. Have your opinions, but don't be unkind or cruel to a man in emotional turmoil. Jamie Kloss, she's safe physically, and I can only hope she's getting the care that she needs to grieve and heal. If you're so inclined, there's a fun set up for the care of Jamie. Please do your due diligence before donating to any GoFundMe or site of the like. This has been an emotionally taxing subject, and it should be. Getting in um, all the little nitty-gritty details, it should wear as a, a burden on my heart, right? That said, any fun taboo topics? <laughs> Send ideas my way on Twitter at SMTaboo. I'd greatly appreciate if you would, oh, in this order, subscribe, rate, five stars, please review and share this pod with a friend. Thanks for listening.